I don't know if you've ever seen a circus elephant, but what's interesting when, you know, these are, are giant creatures, giant animals, these elephants. And when you're going from place to place as a circuit, as a circus, they are trying to look after them. And, and what they do in order to um, kind of contain this elephant so he doesn't go wandering off is they attach a rope or a heavy rope or a chain to one leg and then just kind of stake the other side into the ground. And in the process of doing that now, that elephant isn't going anywhere. He just kind of walks around. And you look at that and that's kind of ridiculous. And you think, well, why would a little simple six-inch stake in the ground, how can that control such a giant elephant? And, and the reason is because when, when that elephant's just a little baby elephant, what they do is they start to train them. They attach a rope or a chain to some, some almost immovable object like a tree or, or a big cement post that's well grounded in there so that when that elephant pulls, he learns he can't go anywhere. And what they're doing is they're training the elephant that when he feels the yoke, when he feels the bondage, he's trapped. So that when that elephant grows up and becomes a circus elephant now, all they need is a little six-inch stake in the ground to control it. That's why they say elephants have such a great memory. Because they remember from the past. Problem is, is this elephant really in bondage? No. And that's kind of like how it is for you and I. When it comes to the flesh and sin, you know, our whole life growing up, this is kind of how it felt, where this giant bondage, this giant chain of sin was controlling us. And then you get saved, and now you're, you're big and you've got this new power, but it feels a lot like this. But the reality is, you and I have just a small little stake in the ground. Now, we're not strong enough on our own to pull it out, but who is? Jesus. The problem is we've been conditioned into this kind of thinking. And that's what the flesh has done. That's what's happened over time, is we've been trained into thinking a certain way. And so what ends up happening now is we've got to learn to think differently. We've got to learn to trust and walk in a different and a new way. And at first, that's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel uncomfortable. I, I tell people, it's sort of like all your life you've been writing with your right hand. Now learn to start writing with your left. The first time you do that, it's funny to watch them. It looks like they're you know, scribbling. Or, I mean, they might have been more accurate if they used their foot to write the, the whatever ass to write. Because it's just so hard and you have to retrain everything. And that's sort of what it's like for you and I. We have to learn how to live differently. And so where we left off in Romans, we left off with this idea that, <clears throat> that the requirement of the law, which is basically just to love the commandments, what we want to do, would be fulfilled in us, but on the condition that we walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what becomes the million dollar question at this point? How do you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh? Well, guess what he's going to talk about now? Is he going to talk about salvation? No. That's not it. He's continuing the thought, and he wants to now address this issue of walking or trusting in, not the flesh, but the Spirit. So verse 5 says, Now for those that are according to the flesh. 
literally, I mean, we could translate it this way based on the context. Those that are walking after the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those that are walking according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. <clears throat> For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. What's interesting in, in these two verses here is we almost have two parallel thoughts running side by side. On, on one hand, what we have is basically a manual on how to walk after the flesh. If you are curious, how do I walk after the flesh? Well, we have that for you in 5 and 6. But on the other side is how to walk after the Spirit. And you know, if we kind of pull it apart, basically, you know, for those that are walking after the flesh, they set their minds to the things of the flesh. And the mindset on the flesh is death. Now again, what kind of death is this? Is this separation from God? Change the relationship? No. It's just the misery, the despair, the frustration. God doesn't turn His back on you. He's not, you're not you know, terrified by it. You know, His virgin eyes can't look upon your sin now. That's not what it is. He's right there with you. But you begin to experience the turmoil that sin always brings. Conversely, <clears throat> those that are walking according to the Spirit, well, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, and the result of that is going to be what? Life and peace. The life of Christ. The peace of God. Rest. And that, that's going to become <clears throat> the result of this. So looking at this, you know, we have we have three things. We've got basically we've got the mindset. We have the walk, and then we got the result. And the mindset can be either of the flesh or of the spirit. What does it mean to have your mindset on the things of the flesh? Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? That's the idea that, you know, your, your head's up in the clouds and you, you just kind of ignore everything in this world. It's, it's in some ways what monks have kind of adopted, this idea that I need to be so separated from the world, so I go live on the side of a mountain wearing nothing but a burlap sack, and I just you know, meditate on God, and I just ignore everything in this world. Do you think that's what it means to be heavenly minded? No. Because if it was, I think, remember, you know, the context of this, Paul's talking about how to love other people. Well, how many people can you love on the side of a mountain all by yourself? You know, maybe if you're a really ornery, mean kind of person, it's love by subtraction. But assuming that's not the case, you can't love anybody. And that's really what he's trying to get at. So to be to be heavenly minded isn't that you're you're so wrapped up you're ignoring this world. Or conversely, to be fleshly minded isn't that you're uh, only talking about the things in this world. You know, some, some would say, well, you know, you can't talk about, the, you know, what's going on in the world and sports and newspaper and work because that's all fleshly, worldly things. Well, that's not the case. He, here's how I would approach it. Uh, a, f a fleshly mindset would be something like this. Suppose you've got, you got bills to pay. You have health problems. Uh, you have relational problems. Maybe with your spouse or with your kids. Um, what else can we add to this? You have problems at work even. So financial problems. 
and maybe problems at work. So we have a list of things that we're struggling with in the world. A fleshly mindset would be something like this. It would be, how am I going to deal with it? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to deal with my health? How am I going to fix my relationship problems? The emphasis is all on who? Me. So because it's all up to me, what resources am I going to begin to use? My own. My own wits. My, the best choices I can make. I'm going to work as hard as I can work. I'm going to love as best as I can love. But it's all on me. So what ends up happening, my mindset on the flesh just simply means it's on me. All the weight, all the pressure is on my shoulders to pull it off. And what Paul's telling us here in Romans 8, 5, and 6 is that your mindset determines your walk. Well, that's really interesting. So if my mindset is on me, then my walk is going to be one of after the flesh. What's interesting about that is I've heard so many people talking about how do I get the walk right? How do I walk after the Spirit? Or how do I you know, make sure my walk is right? But the question really isn't how do I get the right walk? The question is how do I get the right mindset? Remember what Paul said in Romans 7.23 that the battle is going on where? In my mind. It's my mind that's so important. That's why you know, we're, we're, we're teaching, we're, we're going after your mind because that's where the battle is won or lost. In your mind. And so if you get the mindset right, the walk follows. But if you get the mindset wrong, then the walk will be wrong. And so because it's all about me, I'm going to walk after the flesh, and then the result is death. And that looks like despair, frustration, fear, anger, um, jealousy, in essence, really, what we could just put down here to summarize it, it would be the deeds of the flesh. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That if your mindset is all about you, you're going to walk trusting in you, and then you will reap from your flesh, your own abilities, the deeds of the flesh. The anger, the outbursts, and the, the envying, the strife, and the problems, and so forth. Conversely, if our mind is set on the things of the Spirit. And what that means, it doesn't mean, as some have taught, we'll just ignore all this. You know, that's how some people have treated it. You know, you have to make a positive confession. Have you heard that one before? Just pretend you're not sick. Because, you know, to say you're sick, that gives power to the devil. So you just got to tell yourself you're not sick. <coughs> I'm not sick. Just, just tell yourself that, right? Or just speak into your life that you have enough money to pay your bills. Well, does that work? No. All that is is just trying to do the power of positive thinking, but it doesn't actually do anything. And ultimately what ends up happening is, who's doing all the work? Me. Because what they're saying is your faith isn't big enough. You're not doing enough with your faith. You're not working or trusting enough. So you need to have more of a positive confession. You've got to do this more and do that more. No, that's not it at all. Far from it. 
Instead, we're not called to ignore all this. What you and I are called to do is to invite Jesus into it. Meaning, I still got bills to pay, but my question now becomes, Lord Jesus, how do you want to pay these bills? Lord, I still got health problems. So Lord, how do you want to address these health problems? Is there a doctor I need to go to? Do I need to change my diet? Do I need to actually exercise a little? You know, I mean, what do I need to do in these areas? You know, is there a relational problem? So Lord, we have these problems with my kids or my spouse. So how do we go about addressing this, Lord? And notice it's no longer I, it's we. Because where does he live now? In here. I confuse people around here because I say a lot of we. And, and up to recently, I was the only one that was doing ministry here. And so, you know, people say, you say, oh, we, you have a staff here. And no, actually, it's just me. But the reality is, it's not just me, it's who? Me and Jesus. Because we're doing the ministry here together. And so, you know, I talk a lot of the we because it's not just me doing it. It's Christ and me together facing these problems facing these situations. And because now my mind is set on the things of the Spirit. That's why I think it's so important. It's the things of the Spirit. It's the things that God is up to today. Because He's very much alive. He's very much up to stuff today. So my focus is now on Jesus. I'm looking to Him. So I'm not ignoring life. I'm not ignoring the world. I've just invited Jesus into it. And because when you have this understanding of this being a heavenly mindset, unless you're heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Because unless you're bringing Jesus into the equation, all you're going to reap is flesh. And sorry to say this to you, but we have enough flesh in this world. We don't need any more. What we do need more to experience is Jesus. So as my mind focused on Him, then we begin to walk after the Spirit and we reap from the Spirit life, love, joy, peace. What am I listing off here? Patience. The fruit of the Spirit. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That you're looking to God, you're trusting in God, and what will come out is God. The fruit of His Spirit. The fruit of His life. So the battle really isn't in the result. The battle isn't in the walk. The battle is our mindset. And this mindset takes time to develop. takes time to, to learn. I, I love the story of Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a, a, a monk in the, I guess, the early 16th century, I think it was. And... You know, he developed the practice of inviting Jesus into whatever he was doing once a minute. So he would recognize that Jesus, you're with me, you're here. Let's go mop the floors. Let's go cook breakfast. Let's go repair shoes. Because that was his job. You know, he wasn't some super monk, you know, some archbishop or something. He was the cook and the sandal repair guy. But once a minute, he invited Jesus into the situation. This really confused his superiors, though, when they'd come up to him and say, Okay, uh, Brother Lawrence, it's time for your quiet time. And he'd look at him weird and say, Quiet time? What do you mean? Why do I need to do that? I've been doing that all day long. I've been walking and trusting and walking with Jesus all day while I was making breakfast, while I was preparing your sandals. Why do I need to stop doing what I'm doing 
to go spend time with Jesus. And I think in our culture and society, what we've done is we put God in a box so we have our devotional time with Jesus. Kind of picture it this way, you know, every, you wake up in the morning and you, you read from, from your Bible, uh, wherever, you know, whether it's daily bread or some other devotional and some other, maybe you're reading to the Bible in a year sort of thing, but you read a portion of scripture and for, you know, 15, 20, 30, an hour, however long you do it, and you just are blessed by it. And think, wow, Lord, that was incredible. That spoke to me. That ministered to me. But I got to go to work now. So I can't wait till tomorrow to meet with you again. And we kind of close the Bible and then we go off to work. And it's almost like we're leaving Jesus on the bedside table while we go off to do work because we got to work and we got to go do things there. And I can almost picture Jesus there saying, wait a minute, today's take your Savior to work day. I can come with you. I'm allowed to. And, and you know what? I might have some input on that problem you're facing. I might have some ideas. So why not talk to me about your work? Because I care about it. I'm interested in it. I want to be a part of that. And oh, by the way, unless you trust in me, how much can you do on your own? Nothing. So what we need to do is we need to get away from this idea of, of this structured time. And it's okay to do that. Don't get me wrong. It's not nothing wrong with having a, a time where you're reading your Bible. It, that's a wonderful thing. But don't see that as my time with God is here and then when I go off to work, it's another time. It's another box. It's another part of my life. Because the the command for you is to pray without ceasing. And again, that doesn't mean fold your hands, close your eyes, get on your knees and pray. Because if it is, then I don't want to be on the road with you. Right? Open your eyes when you drive. Okay? They should make that a law. Never mind the cell phone thing. (laughs) But... But we're praying without ceasing. What does that just mean? Just talk with Jesus. That's really all it is. I tell people all all the time, walk and talk with Jesus as if He's there. Do you know why? Because He's there. But just to get used to it. Because we're that elephant that's so programmed to think that it's up to us. So begin to train yourself. And for Brother Lawrence, it took him 10 years to develop that habit. So it's not something that happens overnight. Because what's happened is our training, our upbringing has taught us to live this way. I call this the gospel of Oprah. You can do it. It's up to you. You be the change of yourself. And we're trying to do everything here. Well, now we got to learn to switch. Initially, it's going to be hard to, to start in here. You're going to have to make that conscious choice. But you do that enough and eventually this becomes the default position. So that whenever something happens in your life, your first response is run to Jesus. Lord, what do we do here? Lord, how do we handle this? And, and my friend Ralph Harris, he, he calls this pause and play. He, he says, whatever you do, whenever a situation comes, you pause, you turn your thoughts to Jesus, you scatter your thoughts to Jesus. That's literally what that word is when you sow to the Spirit. It literally means scatters. And he says, it doesn't matter what you say to God doesn't matter if you say, Hey, Lord, how you doing? Or, Lord, what on earth are you doing? I mean, it doesn't matter what you say to Him. The moment you turn your attention towards Him, that's scattering your thoughts. And you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit. So you pause, you turn to Jesus, you hear from Him, and then you play. And then you begin to walk it out, and you begin to express His life and His peace. 
And the only place to find life and peace is in God. Why? Well, verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Not only that, it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Here's why. Again, think of the law. The law's chief goal, chief purpose is what? To love. Love means to lay down your life. To do what's in another person's best interest. That's how Jesus put it, right? No greater love than to sacrifice, to lay down your own life. And he wasn't talking physical life. That's not the word he used. That would have been bios life. He used the word suke life, which is soul life. To lay down what's comfortable for you, what you want, what you think is right, what you want to do. That's the laying down your life. But you're doing so for what's in another person's best interest. That's real, true agape love. But the flesh is incapable of producing that kind of agape love because who is the flesh concerned about? Me. I may, it may not be selfish. I mean, I might do a bunch of things for you, but ultimately I'm doing it for who? For me. I mean, right now, for example, I could get up here and I could teach this course and I could teach it thinking, oh, I hope they love me. I hope they, they you know, compliment me on how good the course is. So that I feel good about me. I don't really care what you get out of it. I'm just going to do it so that you respond to me. Well, that's flesh. That's not real love. And so, <clears throat> what what he's saying here is that the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It can't it can't fulfill what the law is even asking. It can't love. It's not even able to do so. That's why it's so important that we walk not after the flesh. That our mind's not on the flesh, but on the Spirit. Because when you're walking after the flesh, how much will God be impressed by? Nothing. Now here's the thing, it may look good. Because out of your flesh, you can produce a whole lot of stuff. Uh, we have an, I have an apple downstairs, uh, it's, but it's plastic. And it looks so real. I mean, it, it looks so real. I don't know. Did you think it was real when you first saw it? I did, and I put it in the fridge. <laughs> well, that's good. That way it won't go bad. That's, that's good. Because it's, it's a few years old now. So um, I actually got it from Rhoda. And, and it looks so real. And that's, I, I hold on to that because that's just like what the flesh is. The flesh can produce something that looks like life. It's all nice and shiny. But the problem is, if you ever bite into that plastic apple, what do you find? You find death. You won't find real life. There's no sustenance there for you. Whereas real fruit sometimes doesn't look that good. But you bite into that, and that's healthy. That's whole. And so what I see sometimes in our churches is we manufacture fruit out of our flesh. And we have nice, you know, big churches, great programs, wonderful, shiny, moving, run real smooth. But when you step back, you realize there's no life to it. It's just really well-manufactured fruit. Shiny and clean on the outside, but empty on the inside. And that isn't impressing God one bit. Because there's no real love to it. Verse 8, then, is almost an aside. Verse 8 is just, by the way... And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Who are those people? Who's in the flesh? The unbelievers. Yeah. 
And it's just a quick aside. It's not, he's not talking about it in, in great detail. He's just, he's been talking about the need to not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. But just, by the way, unbelievers don't please God. You have someone like Gandhi. Gandhi is a, or was, uh, um, an avowed uh, unbeliever. He did not, he denounced Christianity. He did not believe in it. But he was a really nice guy. Pacifist. I mean, one simple, frail little old man defeated the British Empire. I mean, you got to respect that. But did it please God one bit? No. Could that also be talking about believers who are walking in the flesh? No, and the reason why is because he's he's referred to this idea, those that are in the flesh. Um, Now, the NIV Bible, anyone have an NIV Bible? We'll pray for you if you do, it's okay. What what is the NIV Bible? What does that translation say in verse 8? Those controlled by the sinful nature. Well, that's really different. That's what, first off, they don't have flesh, they got sinful nature, which is one issue in itself. But they've taken this word in and translated it as controlled by. And that's that's a stretch. That's that I think they've gone taken too much liberty with the interpretation. Because the idea of controlled by would imply that maybe it's talking about believers. But the reality is he's not talking about those who are controlled by the flesh, but those that are still in the flesh. Because he's going to go on in verse 9 and say, however, you are not in the flesh. So believers are not in the flesh. We may walk after it, but you're not in it. So, because you... Would they have been better to translate it those who are in, in Adam? No, they would have been better to translate it those that are in the flesh. Because that's that's the words that are used. The, the word in is uh, E-N essentially, and then flesh is sarks. And they would have they would have been better off just translating it the way it is. But they, they tried to help you, but they end up taking you down the wrong path, unfortunately. Too much interpretation, I, I would say. Uh, so he says, however, you're not in the flesh. As believers. But instead, now you're in the Spirit. Think of it as countries. You know, you maybe uh, you grew up in America, and we'll you know pick on the Americans for a little bit and say America is the land of unbelief. And so you grew up, you're born in America, but then you come to Canada, and Canada is now the land of belief, and now you're saved, now you're in Canada. So you were in America, and while you're in America, you can't please God. But now, you're not in America. Now, you're in Canada. You're in the Spirit. You're a new creation. However, now that you're in Canada, do you ever act like Americans? Speak with an accent? You might cheer like them or talk like them. But that doesn't make you an American. You're just acting like them. You're walking after them. So Christians aren't in the flesh. They're in the Spirit. But they can still walk after it. Living in a way that's no longer consistent with who they now are. So he's reminding us, that you're, but you're not in the flesh. You're not in Adam anymore. Now you're in the Spirit. If, there's a condition here, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him. What does that tell you about the, the need to have an infilling of the Holy Spirit? Do we need, as Christians, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't think we need to be filled. I think we are filled. Right? He's, he's telling us, if you don't have Jesus, you don't belong to Him, and you're in the flesh. But if you belong to Jesus, then you're not in the flesh, now you're in the Spirit, and guess what you have? 
you have the Spirit of Christ. So we don't need to pray for a second blessing. We just need to realize what we already have. I love what Ephesians 1 and verse 4 says, or verse 3 says, that you have been, past tense, blessed with every spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I always tell people that's a good news, bad news verse. Here's the bad news. There are no more spiritual blessings to come your way. You have been, past tense, done deal, given every spiritual blessing. There's nothing left in the cupboard. Here's the good news. You don't need any more. Because you have been, past tense, done deal, blessed with every, all of them, total spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You've been given Jesus. I love how Watchman Nee puts it. He puts it this way. God doesn't give you forgiveness. He gives you Jesus who is your forgiveness. God doesn't give you peace. He gives you Jesus who is your peace. God doesn't give you strength. He gives you Jesus who is your strength. He doesn't give you acceptance. He gives you Jesus who is your acceptance. You have everything you need in Jesus. And since we belong to Him, we've got Him. Isn't that glorious? I don't need any more of Jesus. I've got them all. I need to realize how much I've got. And that's very different. See, if there's something I need to do to get more of Him, then it's on my shoulders. i got to go do it. But if I just need to realize it's already there, then... It's already there. It's done deal. Maybe if, if this would have helped if Jesus told us it was finished on the cross. That would have helped a lot. Oh, wait. He did. So verse 10 says, Now if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So, so the body's dead. You know, We talked about sins in the body and its experience and the effects of that. That's why our, we're physically marching towards death and, and we have all the problems in the body. But Christ is in you and your spirit. Though the body's dead, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So remember on that diagram, I said that no matter what you do, your spirit is the Holy of Holies. It's still clean. It's still pure. It's alive. You have life, even though this body is breaking down. But if the spirit, and I think this should have been better translated for since. I think he's just continuing on the thought here. But but if or for since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I think what he's saying here is exactly what he said in Romans 6.13. That when you present yourself to God, you become an instrument of righteousness. That because Jesus lives in you, because the one who overcame death, even though death is still in our bodies, guess what? I now have the strength to do what I couldn't do before. Yes? Uh, I studied a little bit on the Spirit some time ago, and I don't know where, where they are, but if you study them where the apostles were in one area, and they were filled with the Spirit, and then later on they were in a different area, and then they were again filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Where that fits in? I think what he's saying there is that it's not that the Spirit suddenly came upon them. Uh, in the Old Testament, that's how it would work. That the Spirit would come upon somebody and He would do a work and then He'd go. But for you and I, the Spirit has come and He's now sealed within us. Right? That's what it says in Ephesians, that we've been sealed with the Spirit. And so He's not coming and going. That idea of being filled with the Spirit, I think really is that in that moment, Christ was living through them. That they were expressing the Spirit of God. So it wasn't a filling, it was an expression of. Think back to um, 
to back to Ephesians, or Romans 5 and verse uh, verse 5, um, where, where Paul writes to us there that the, um, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, or from within our hearts, because of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So where does the Spirit reside? Within our hearts. Are we being filled with the Spirit? No, we're being poured out from within. To um, uh, the woman at the well, Jesus says that you know if you knew who I was and the gift that I have to offer you, then you would have life and you would have a wellspring of life flowing up from within you. That's what we are now. We're geysers. Everywhere you go, you're a geyser filled with the life of Christ, wanting to overflow, wanting to to spill out into other people. So it's not that Jesus needs to come and pour His life into me; He wants to pour His life out of me. Doesn't it say in Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise? Mm-hmm. And then later on he says, uh, be filled, but be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. In other words, you know, you can walk according to the flesh, I, I, you can walk according yeah. to the Spirit, but if you walk according to the Spirit, you can be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But if you are just deviling, yeah. you know, then... Well, let, let's think of it this way. Remember the diagram I put up here about the, the F and the S? And what I was trying to portray is when you're walking after the flesh, remember how all of a sudden the gray filled the soul and the gray filled the body? Well, in essence, in that moment, we're filled with the flesh. The Spirit's in us though, right? It's still in our spirit. Do we lose any of Jesus? Do we need any more of Jesus? No. But when you're walking after the Spirit, what I was trying to show is that Spirit now fills and permeates into your soul and fills and permeates into your body. Well, when that happens, did, it, did more of Jesus come into me at that point? No. So when I say the filling, it's not, it's not that I'm an empty cup and Jesus comes and fills me up periodically. I have, a, I have the well inside of me now. And that's overflowing and filling my soul and my body in that sense. I, I, I don't want to get hung up on the terminology of it. I think that the essence of it is still the same. That this is being filled with the Spirit, as we've read in, in Acts and so forth, that we're walking after the Spirit. But it's not this idea that I'm lacking God and I need more of Him. I got all I got. All I need is in Him. But it's a matter of, of living a surrendered life. And then it begins to flow out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Does that answer your question at all? Or just add more confusion? Okay. So, what he's saying here in verse 11, I think is so great because it's speaking to this idea again, what he's been talking about in Romans 5.10 about being saved by his life. And then he mentioned it again in chapter 6 and verse 8 that we now, since we've died with him, we believe we shall also live with him. And then in you know verse 13 of chapter 6, we become instruments of righteousness. What he's saying here is that now that Christ is in us, He's going to give life to our bodies. I've got strength. I've got power to do what I never thought I could do before. You know, I think about my situation and where I am right now. My, my training, or the way I'm gifted, is I'm an engineer. Uh, I was born an engineer. I'm wired as an engineer. I trained as an engineer. And if you don't know about engineers, a, a good way to think about them is that you don't put them with people. Uh, engineers operate best in the dark, in a you know basement room with a computer. You put an engineer by himself, he'll spit out fantastic results, great stuff. But put him in a room of people, and he just kind of locks up. And that's the way I'm wired. 
And so one day God comes and says, Ross, I've got an option for you. You can continue on as an engineer, or you can leave that behind and come into ministry. And in ministry, you're going to meet with people, and you're going to teach them in groups. You're going to counsel with them one-on-one. Now, for an engineer, that's not good. (laughs) That's not comfortable. And that's not where I'm gifted in. But yet, as I trust in Jesus, what does He do? His life gives life to my body to do what in and of myself I could never do on my own. So even though you know sin is in this body and this body is experiencing death, He gives life to it and that overcomes sin. My body will still die. I'll still get sick from time to time. But His life is powering me through it. Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. It's, it's not so much a punishment as just a consequence. It's a guaranteed you will die. If that happens, if you're walking after the flesh, guess what? The wages of sin is death. That has not changed. Just so you're curious, I wonder if it's different now. No, no. It's always been death. It always will be death. And, but you're not under obligation to the flesh anymore. But now, by the, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, how do we put to death the deeds of the body? I think this is what Romans 6.11 was. Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. So it's, it's not that the body's evil. Don't hear that, that there's something in the body that's evil, and I'm putting to death the deeds of it. I'm putting to death the temptations. So that when sin comes knocking on the door, I'm saying, wait, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I'm reckoning myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And when I do that, I've put to death the deeds of the body, and now I experience life. Now I experience His life in me. This is an important section, so he's, he's going to transition now and begin to talk about something else. But so now would be a good time to ask questions, if you got them. Was there a uh, scripture passage for that? Reckon yourself dead. Romans six eleven. Hey, I have a question. Yeah. So, if a person that always said it sits knocking on their door, <coughs> you won't go down that route. But it takes wisdom and knowledge to know. The sure. Present, right? Yeah. So those people who don't have the Holy Spirit, obviously, they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. No. You're a Christian and you have the Spirit, mm-hmm. and you don't listen. Then, rebellion. then there's rebellion. Yeah. And guess what will happen? You will experience death. Now, at any point in time, you can turn around and you'll experience life, and you'll have a mess to clean up. But at any point in time, you can't. Yeah. I think that's a problem with people. Maybe they have. Like the enemy, obviously, lies to you. Mm-hmm. There's a problem with deception. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So then, like you're saying, it's important to pray, have Jesus with you all the time, so that you won't be deceived. Yeah, the more the more I'm turning to Jesus, the more I'm walking with Him, the easier it is for me to see the deception. But when I start trying to handle it on my own, out of my flesh it's almost like things start to get darker and dimmed. And now you don't see things as much. But when you're walking with Jesus, now there's this giant light shining on everything and that deception becomes more obvious. Now again, are there going to be times where you get deceived? Every one of us will. Because this isn't a sinless life. We're not talking sinless perfection. 
But the more you trust in Jesus, the less you will sin.